0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Jane Lee and this is Campaign Catch-Up. We're in week five of the 2022 federal election. It's Monday the 9th of May. Today, political editor Catherine Murphy joins me to talk about last night's leaders debate and what we can expect from the final two weeks of the campaign. But first, here's what happened today. Labor leader Anthony Albanese was in Sydney where he pledged a scholarship fund for 5,000 high-achieving students to study education. He then visited Adelaide where he held a press conference alongside the newly elected Labor Premier Peter Malinowskis. Together they announced a joint $400 million investment to upgrade Flinders Hospital. Neither Labor nor the Coalition is committing to lift the Commonwealth's share of funding for public state hospitals from 45 to 50% that's what the states are calling for, to deal with increased numbers of patients.
0: We will have some more to say on health during this campaign. Today is a significant announcement. Is it just just, just a coincidence that you're pumping $400 million into a marginal Liberal-held seat? That's at play so close to the election. This is the hospital that needs this infrastructure upgrade. This is the hospital that needs the upgrade, and it's needed right now.
1: Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in the seat of Gilmore on New South Wales' south coast, promising to spend more than $8 billion on helicopters and associated facilities for the Army and the Navy. He struggled to say why the polls are not looking great for him in the second last week of the campaign.
0: It's a choice between Anthony Albanese
1: and his inability to manage money and a weakness or a strength that we have demonstrated
0: on economic policy, on national security policy, that has kept Australians safe. That is keeping Australians together in some of the most difficult times we've ever had to manage
1: as a country and is keeping our economy strong. Thanks very much, everyone. The leader's second debate ended in a draw on Channel 9 last night. Here's a quick recap. Labor leader Anthony Albanese said wages would be higher under a Labor government than under the coalition, but he couldn't guarantee that they would rise faster than inflation.
0: Our objective is to have real wage increases and we have practical plans to do that.
1: And Morrison conceded he shouldn't have said that getting Australians vaccinated against COVID-19 was not a race.
0: Prime Minister, do you now accept that indeed it was a race and you should have secured vaccines earlier? It was a race, Anthony, and we shouldn't have described it in those terms.
1: And the two leaders clashed on everything from the minimum wage to which party was tougher on China.
0: When I was a minister, we put US Marines into Darwin when you've been a minister, we've had the port of Darwin sold to a company connected with the Chinese Communist Party. Not by party. the Commonwealth So Britain. we're... we're oh, your well, party... Actually your party with your tick-off. You've no, been telling this life for some Your party with your tick-off. You allowed it to happen. No, we didn't. The federal government had absolutely oh. no authority over that sale whatsoever. I,
1: Since the campaign started last month, Guardian Australia's Paul Commodore estimates that Labor and the Coalition have promised $4.9 billion all up to individual seats and states. The major parties have both promised more money to Queensland than any other state or territory. The Coalition has committed the most funding to Canning in WA, and Labor has offered the most to McEwen in Victoria. Coming up... Catherine Murphy is here to discuss how the leaders are preparing to win votes in the final two weeks of the campaign. Hi Murph, how are you going? Hello, I'm all right, Jane. How are you? I'm okay too. Week five. Woo! Hooray! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but Get who's excited! counting, right? Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, Murph, we had our second leaders debate in this election. Lego masters that create bastion of Australian television ended, and then the debate began. So whoa. <laughs> What was going through your mind when you started seeing it kick off? Well,
2: I was kind of uh, impressed by the last few minutes of Lego Masters. (laughs) Sadly, I had missed a previous awarding of the titanium brick of triumph. (laughs) I had not seen that in the past and I was gripped by this sort of orderly procession of Lego talent followed by an award ceremony. And then, of course, we crashed into the debate. So we sort of went from... Orderly aspiration and attainment into, I don't know, 90 minutes of
1: absolute chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know there was a lot of shouting and interjections and interruptions, but at what point for you, Murph, did it descend into what you described in your column as a genuine shit blizzard?
2: I, I reckon it was certainly in the first third of the debate where I felt like I saw both of them kind of. <laughs> Kind of think, yeah, oh dear, this this isn't good. Whatever this mm. is that we're in, this isn't good. Mm. So I think possibly after that realization dawned that the Prime Minister sought to draw his opponent into a conflict because the opportunity for sense was done. Uh at least I can try and engage Albanese and make him look a bit more aggressive than he normally does. Mm. So why do you think the format was so terrible for this debate? Well, the sort of the principal problem was the 60-second answers. I mean, Mm. who can actually say anything even remotely meaningful in 60 seconds about anything? You can't even be glib in 60 seconds, right? Mm. I mean, I understand, obviously, the debate format's journalists kind of try to draw them up, are going to want to stop politicians either from from raving or from unleashing the entire talking points manual during the course of the event. So I get there needs to be time limits, but the sort of 60-second segment was basically structured for a yes or a no answer, possibly with two supplementary points. And while there's a place for that, you can't sort of deal with complexity in that time limited format and uh, there was also just a sort of a presentational and a structural issue there's a reason why in debates generally the moderator stands in front of the two combatants as as it was there was a sort of there was a panel of journalists and then there was a moderator off who's to the side off to yeah. the side out of out of eye contact with Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese. Now, hilariously, Scott Morrison said in his press conference on Monday when he was asked, do you think you should have been talking over the moderator for the entire however long it was? And Morrison said, oh, well, look, it was actually really hard to hear in that environment. Well, of course, it was hard to hear because he was yelling his head off, but still there was no visual cue." So when they they decided to just engage, you know, sort of go full Jerry Springer, they either couldn't hear her, I'm making air quotes with couldn't hear her, mm. or refused to, as in I'm not taking my eye contact away from either my opponent or the camera because again, When you set up for debate prep for politicians, you get your principal to look down the barrel of the camera because it's actually the voter you're talking to, not your opponent. So these guys were doing down the barrel talking or Jerry Springer with one another and this futile moderator who appeared to be stationed in outer Pluto trying to break
1: up this melee in effect. Mm. So Murph, considering all the problems in this debate that, you, as you've said, made it really hard to follow, do you think the leaders managed to get anything meaningful across to voters last night?
2: Well, uh, I think... Uh, 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 sort of, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sort of hesitating and laughing, Jane, which is probably deeply inappropriate, because uh, you know, possibly they had game plans before they came in, the two of them, and obviously they had prepared questions to one another, and obviously they sort of both of them got half of their talking points out you know, in response to every question before they were gonged off. Mm. And there were a couple of absolute brain explosions where, you know, the Prime Minister said, yes, well, of course, I was the whistleblower for the aged care sector. Um, What? When? Um, And Anthony Albanese said, well, we took this to an election. Um, I think possibly the Labor leader was talking about the Banking Royal Commission rather than the Aged Care Royal Commission. But it was sort of like, oh, my God, like what What? What next? Uh, But, yeah, I I think, honestly, to suggest anybody had a workable strategy or or, or a a strategy that was actually delivered uh, I think is a vast overstatement. Although I should say, um, Jane, paying due deference to a lovely woman who wrote to me this morning to uh, tell me that she was quite displeased with my commentary about the debate because she felt like she got something out of it. so uh, I won't I won't name the lady who obviously I haven't sought to get her permission to to name her in this conversation. but what she said to me, what she took out of it was this. it showed that Anthony Albanese would reset and come back when when somebody sort of was, and by somebody, I guess she meant the Prime minister, when the Prime Minister yelled at him or, cut him off or or the the moderator cut him off or a journalist cut him off or whatever, that he would just sort of keep ploughing on. And for her, she felt as though that was a character trait that was relevant for her in making a decision about who to support for the next Prime Minister of Australia.
1: So obviously the timing of the debate, you know, it was Sunday night after Lego Masters, 8.45, obviously targeting disengaged voters who are not paying as close attention to the campaign as perhaps we have been, Murph. So what do you think they could have gotten out of this debate? It was an interesting decision by the Prime Minister
2: in terms of where he has wanted the election debates to be. So we can unpack that just a little bit. The first one was on Sky News. The second two on the two commercial television networks. Now uh, Morrison's uh, completely blanked an approach by the ABC and similarly by the National Press Club. Mm. So w- why has he chosen those mediums for his message as it were? Well, uh, some interesting sort of media research in Australia tells us that the the audience for those networks, Sky 7 and 9, leans right. This research showed that the ABC actually draws viewers equally from the left and the right. It's Morrison who chose the terrain that suggests that he wants to speak to right-leaning, low-information and undecided voters. Why does he want to do that? Well, because every opinion poll that's been released during the campaign tells us that the coalition has a primary vote problem. Its primary vote is not where it needs to be in order to feel comfortable about winning on the 21st of May. So Scott Morrison wants to speak to undecided right-leaning voters who are considering a protest vote either for Clive Palmer's party, for One Nation or for other independent
1: candidates at the local level. One of Morrison's strategies during the debate seemed to be to attack Labor for not having enough detail in the policies that it's announced this election. What did you make of of that particular argument? Well, it's sort of it's a strategy the Prime Minister's deploying
2: uh, for more combatants than Labor at the moment. It's also a charge he's levelling against the teal independents in these contests in the inner city, uh, where these where the independents are trying to unseat moderate liberal incumbents. They are also being fitted up as people who don't have detailed policies. You know, you can't trust them because you don't know what they'll do, etc. There was a particularly ridiculous moment in the debate where the two combatants were talking about legislation for a Federal Integrity Commission uh, Scott, sorry to laugh, Scott Morrison three years ago promised voters he would legislate one. He has a 300-page odd exposure draft that he point blank refused to introduce at any point in the parliament just gone. So he was the guy who could have actually legislated the thing. But then the sort of misdirection in the debate was to Anthony Albanese, well, you haven't got any legislation. You've only got a two-page document. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, one of the many peak farces of the debate. But it's sort of this this, um, picture that Morrison is just sort of trying to chip away at, that... You don't know what they'll do. They're idiots. The Labor Party, they can't do anything. They can't manage money. And Anthony Albanese, who would trust him
1: with anything because, you know, basically he's got no idea what he's doing. Mm. I mean, as you mentioned Murph, it's a really important day because pre-poll voting has begun and as we've spoken about previously, both parties are trying to desperately send messages to those early voters. What do you think was their thinking, were both leaders thinking going into the debate with that in mind? Exactly.
2: Well, it was the pre-poll debate. Uh, these two guys are meeting again in the middle of the week on another commercial television station, Channel 7, to do another debate. But front of mind for both of these leaders would have been the opening of pre-poll voting the very next morning. So the pre-poll strategy, we're sort of we're now going to sort of see a slight refinement, I think, of the communication. Uh, I think. At the moment, obviously, the Prime Minister is very keen to train eyes on Anthony Albanese measure his campaign performance and tell voters that it's been suboptimal uh, he did that at his press conference this morning said you know listed off things that Albanese had stuffed up during the campaign and made the point that if you were interviewing him in a business you wouldn't give him a second interview let alone a job right i expect we'll hear that line once or twice mm-hmm. um and so what what the prime minister is trying to do now that voting has started is is to sort of turn hesitancy that is there amongst voters about Albanese, like is he the answer to our problem? He wants to turn that hesitancy into risk, which is a sort of much stronger emotion for a voter. Albanese's message is a little bit more complicated. It's sort of like uh, Scott Morrison's dreadful, you all know it, if he gets another three years, my God, you know, Lord help all of us. And by the way, we're going to give you cheaper childcare and uh, cheaper energy prices and more renewables and every child gets a prize. You know, it's sort of like he's got to be able to do both things. That's where the sort of election closing battle will will be.
1: Thanks so much for your time, Mo. No worries. That's your campaign catch up for today. Make sure you tune in to Full Story tomorrow. Our economics editor, Peter Hannum, will be explaining the difference between the two major parties on the issue of housing affordability.
2: In the broader scheme of things, government policies tend to favour home ownership and not renting. That gives a signal and the major parties pick it up. They're viewing the fact that there's roughly two thirds of the population that either have paid off their house or in the process of paying off a mortgage. So they figured like that's the largest Share and they're the voters we want to win over.
1: This episode was produced by Alison Chan and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.